Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, our guest is Jo Thomas. She writes romantic fiction that is just steeped in place. It's all about the location, the food, and the love. Now, her new book is Escape to the French Farmhouse. Uh, We talk about how she researched the book, which, by the way, involved a trip to Provence. Sounds lovely. Uh, um, She assures me many times that it was quite tough going. Not sure how much I believe her. Anyway, uh, also, uh, we find out how she puts the reader directly in the place with the character and brings it to life. And you can hear what she thinks about the characters kind of doing their own thing and what happens when they go off script. If the character goes off at a bit of a tangent, you've got to be sure that it's working for the story. Not just to go and have a little jolly somewhere else. You know, what are we? What, what's this? Why are we doing this? And how is it going to advance our character's emotional journey? Because this is what I mean. Whilst they're on a physical journey and discovering food and a new place, they're on an emotional journey too. So it has to, in some way, add to the emotional journey for it to 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 warrant saying. More on the way this week with Joe Thomas in writer's routine. Yes, welcome along. It is Writer's Routine, the show where we take a look inside the working day of some of the most successful authors around. Uh, now, my name is Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for finding us. Thank you so much for all the love, by the way, over the last few weeks. Uh, all the Patreon pledges and, and the tweets and all the reviews. Uh, it means a lot. And keep them coming and get involved if you can. Uh, now, this week, we're chatting to Joe Thomas, who I think, and I've weighed it up, I think... She might have the greatest life ever. Uh, She thinks of a place that she wants to visit. Then she does a little trip there with a mate to take it all in. Most importantly, to sample the food and the drink. And then she dreams up a love story all about it when she gets back. And they sell really well. Uh, She's on to her 10th book now, I think. Her new one is called Escape to the French Farmhouse. Now, if you have a look at the cover online, just like I promised, within about a second of seeing it, you will know exactly what this book is. You know, it's that type of cover. And I love it. 
You can hear about why she works so hard in the early mornings, uh, all about her writing retreats and the research trips that she takes on with her author friends. We chat all about the, the detailed synopsis that she writes before she figures out the structure. We pick apart the writing routine of her year as well, which is pretty amazing because she publishes usually two books over 12 months and it is honestly head spinning how much she has to keep across at that time. There's so much going on, so many different seasons at play as well. Uh, Now, she says she wants her books to be like coming round her house uh, for a lovely meal and a story. And she speaks so passionately about it as well. I think this is a really brilliant episode. You're going to enjoy it. Uh, And we get into it with Jo, as we always do, with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Well, right now, I have to say, I am lucky enough to be looking out to sea. Uh... So uh, I am at my desk. Um, yeah, I've got, it's not a huge view, but it is a view of I'm looking out to sea and the sky is really, really big. So I watch the birds go past. Um, we've got loads of buzzards here, lots of seagulls. Heron went across. I watch a kestrel in a back field. So I am really, really lucky to be sitting here looking at all of this. The, the reason that I my desk is here is because I love light and I find that in order to work um, more than heat or anything, it's just about light. I really um, thrive on having light. So I sit in front of a very, very big picture window. And away from this magnificent vista you've got in front of you, talk to me about the room that's around you where you are writing. Have we got bookshelves? Have we got art? What gives you your inspiration there, Jo? Um, we have got bookshelves, but um, this room is actually in the middle of the house. I'm not one of those people that can go off to a room and shut myself away. Um, so this room is actually the heart of the house and um all the traffic passes through here so it's all very quiet now um and i've told everyone to go away but uh there could be uh behind me there, there's open into the living room where um there could be banjo playing going on uh there's um there could be teenagers coming and going i've got three teenagers um I had three children under the age of three. They're like buses, you wait for years and three come along at once. Um, I've got uh, three teenagers, so they could be tripping in and out with boyfriends or friends. Um, and then there's the two dogs, the cats. So it can be, but I, I just can't bear that thing of having to go and sit in a room at a desk and write. Um I, I, you know, life is going on around me. I don't want, you know, you feel like a naughty child if you've been sent off to a room. Um, and, but it is very, very different from how I first started out writing. How how different so? So we'll get kind of into the actual writing routine in a little bit, the, the day ahead of you. But I would imagine when you first started out writing, perhaps you didn't have um, all, all your teens around you. How did you find breaking up all the different things that you were doing, maybe motherhood, maybe working, maybe writing as well. How was that? Well, that was it. I, um, as I say, so I had three children under the age of three. Uh, and um, I, I was at the time, I was a radio producer. Uh, I'd just come back from working at Radio 2 and I was coming back and I was working at BBC Radio Wales. Um, and say so we had three children. And so I knew I wanted something for me. 
uh, and some time to create another skill. Um, so what I would actually do is I would drop the first child off at school. The second one would do half a day in play group. And as I pulled the car around the corner, the baby would fall asleep. And wherever the baby fell asleep, I would park up, pull up the laptop uh, and just write for an hour. And, and then the baby would wake up and that was it. That was my time over. But it was a really pr precious hour. And when you only have an hour to write, you write. You don't sit there looking out of the window. <laughs> you, know? you It doesn't matter where you are. You just head down and write. Um, and that's how I first started to write, breaking into short stories. Uh, now, you clearly, as you've said, you love the busyness, you love the life, the vibrancy that's around you. But solitude is always quite important, even though you don't want to lock yourself away. What do you do that helps close you off in a sense and helps switch your brain on? to the the creative task at hand so back in the day when you were writing when you you've got your kids finally fallen asleep in the back you've got an hour of this golden time you need to write modern day how are you for instance sh sending the kid to sleep and shutting the car door so you can get your writing time now well actually i have to say now that they are teenagers um teenagers don't get up very early which is fantastic <laughs> for a writer um, so, uh, during the holidays, I actually probably get my, <laughs> most of my writing done. And I, it's literally a case of I'll, I'll, I'll start early. I do work early. Uh, cup of tea, feed the animals. And then now I will actually just go back to bed without even looking at the kitchen, the washing pile, anything like that. Back to bed and write those words. The, the words that, really need to go on the page, the creative words to get the story on the page. I write them early in the morning when uh, my family are around me, but they're still all asleep. So as long as I've got tea, I'm fine. And then I will then work at my desk a little later in the day. I might be doing edits or I might be doing an article or something, and that's fine. But when I really need to um, put words on the page, that happens these days, first thing in the morning when everyone's still asleep. It used to happen um, once the children got a bit bigger uh, and they went to school, uh, we were invited to go and live in Ireland for a year uh, in Galway on the west coast of Ireland. Uh, and I wasn't sure whether we were doing the right thing at all. And uh, this was before I was published. And we had to put the children into Irish language school. Now, they'd come from Welsh medium school, and I was now putting them into Irish medium school because there were no English language schools around. I remember dropping them off on that first day, and they were crying. And I drove down the coast path past Galway Bay, and I was crying. And I thought, well, I'm not going home. And I sat, and I pulled up in the car again. And I thought, well, you can either sit here and look at the sea, or you can write something. And so every single day, I dropped them off at school, and I parked up by the sea in the car and I wrote and that's why I wrote my first book The Oyster Catcher which is all set um, around Galway Bay and the oyster um, community there um, so um, and again it was it was being somewhere so I would be by the sea but there would be people around I could watch what was going on watch um, families come in and go to the beach say uh, so again it was about not being shut off and then then uh, the oyster catcher took off um, fantastically, uh, which was great. And uh, I joined a mainstream publisher. Uh, but then Germany came in and I also went to auction in Germany. And at that point, I 
bought myself a camper van so that I could have a cup of tea in a desk when I was writing in the car. What's this what's this need of you to almost be on the run while you are writing? I know you don't really get you, that's not really the case anymore because you're writing while you're in bed. But writing your short stories when you drop the kids off at, at school and one's still with you, uh, writing your first novel and then moving into a camper van to do it. What, what, where do you think this and your books are, are obviously quite travel and exotically focused where where does this need to where does this need for escapism kind of come in um well the the escapism when I write um is I just think you have to I have to take myself out of as I say away from the washing up pile otherwise I'll just everything else will have to be done before I can allow myself the time to write which is you know, when you're running a, a household as well. Um, so taking yourself physically away from that um, allows me to focus. The escapism in my books is is basically what goes on in my head the whole time. You know, I just have these dreams and fantasies about um, wouldn't it all be so much better if I could go and, you know, walk along a beach in Greece now? Wouldn't it all be so much better if I could, you know, run a spanish tapas bar and um and so these are all stories that go on in my head all these you know i can't actually relocate to one particular mediterranean uh, country because i can't choose you know <laughs> i want to do it all we do go away quite a lot as as writers as a group of writers and um of course you all have your your, your own different um, patterns of writing and so i have a, a friend of mine katie ford who gets up even earlier than me. So when we're away, um, she brings me the tea in the morning so that I can start. Uh, but she has to sit upright, whereas, I, yeah, I'm very lucky. I can just sit up in bed and write. I'm sorry, what was the question after that? No, that's all right. What time What time will you tend to wake up in the morning to get started then? Well, again, it's changed over the years. When the children were small, my youngest would always be up at six. So I started writing at five and found that wasn't early enough. So then I would write at four. Um, when I've got into, you know, really trying to, uh, to write. So as well as writing the car, there was always a, a bed thing going on. So I would, you know, yes, if I needed to get word on, words on the page, I could have started at four. Now, you know, it's about half six up and, um, and sitting there as the day wakes up. And, and that's just when I find my brain is most active. If you wake up with the story in your head, then, get on in there you know take your take your moment and get it on the page how long will you tend to sit there writing for how do you know when when your that session is done i can usually do a couple of thousand words if i'm splurging words onto the page a couple of thousand words to get it down and then and that's with a first draft or maybe even a little bit more but about 2000 words um with a first draft and then after that of course it's about work in what is already there so it's not so much about uh the words you're getting down the page but it's about layering in more information more story so um you say i can sit there and then about nine o'clock make it to the to the desk and and i find that editing at the desk funnily enough is much easier then but those those creative words i just need to be in a little bubble on my own do you think that you could mix that up at all? Do you think 
you could write and do your creative words on the desk in in a, in, in a more studious place, uh, or, or or are you quite, for want of a better word, are you quite like entrenched in the way that you do things, and there is no chance that that you would be able to to swap that around? No, when you're writing two books a year, you write wherever, whenever. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's um, quite. A, I mean, people write more, but I, I'm doing two books a year, and that's quite a heavy schedule. So there isn't time to be precious about it. Um, as I say, we've gone off on retreats, and 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 you just adapt to your new circumstances. The only time I find that the brain is completely switched off is about come two, three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, there's nothing creative going on in there at all at that time of day. You know. Maybe it'll bounce back at about five, but I, you know, I like to, you know, pe- people are either, you know, um, morning or afternoon people, aren't they? And, and I'm very much the creative words have to come in the morning. And when you are writing early, what, what do you know about what you are writing that day? How, how thoroughly have you, have you planned this out? Um, not very, um, what I tend to, I, I always have to know the story before I start. So I have to know the end point, I have to know the start point and roughly how we're getting there. So it's a bit like a map, but it might be that we go totally off piece. We take the scenic route that day. So I don't um, actually just write everything out chapter by chapter. It's very much, I'll have a, a very, quite a detailed synopsis about the story but it's not about the actual structure that comes uh once the words hit the page um and and so i mean it's always a lovely day's writing when i can sit down and go oh yes i know what i've got to do next and in fact you know so i've just left my work now and gone oh yes i know what i'm going tomorrow i've got to do that bit there um, and so I know that tomorrow I just hit the ground running. I know that I've got to put in some more. Um, I'm, I'm layering at the moment. I'm on, I would have done three drafts before it goes to my editor. Really rough draft, a better draft and a, and a, what I would call a structural draft where I go through and check the times, uh, the timeline is okay. The weather all matches up and the names are in there. And then it goes off to my editor. She's now doing her edits and come back with more layering that I'm putting in. Um, we might have another little tweak and then it'll go for copy edits. Um, so, so sometimes I have to go, oh, I know what I'm doing. But it's quite, quite often you go to bed um, with a, actually, I've got no idea where this is going next or what I've got to do. And it's so lovely when you wake in the morning and, and the brain is just working in the background, working it out for you. You're, oh, yes. Okay, great. But it's, it's, it's like waking up and, and you think, oh, some days uh, it's like going to the gym. You know, it's, oh, I can't do it this morning. And as soon as you get there and you get going and you get the words on the page, you just feel so much better, so much better. Rather ambiguously and open-ended, what do you mean by layering? Well, how, how, not only what are you adding to the story, but how <clears throat> do you know what to add to the story to, to, to bring it alive? Um, so... When I've done, you know, the draft, I will send off. Um, quite often, um, you might write and how you're seeing it in your head. It's all there in your head, but it's not actually on the page. So at this point, we go through and and you want to, 
hear more backstory about some of the characters that have made them behave in a certain way. You might want more description of food uh, or the setting. And what I always go through and check is how is my character feeling at that time? How does how is this situation making her feel and why? So it's going back through and asking the questions why um, and and giving more information, making the story more uh, character driven um, so that uh, you understand the character and 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 why they're behaving in a certain way. But it's like a watercolour painting or a, a painting. You know, you start with the sketch, you start to put the colour in, and then you start putting in more and more detail, exactly that, layering a painting. How do you know when it's done? Um... <laughs> I would just be using using yes. the painting analogy. <laughs> I, I, I would. I'm not a painter. Um, I would imagine if I was, I would forever just be coming back to it, putting a dash more yellow here, a spot more red there. It would never be over. Well, I think yes. When you're a commercial writer, as it were, when you're writing at, um, uh, there is a, very much a schedule to my year. Oh, please, well, please tell us, because we've done the writing routine of the day. Talk us through the year then. So you're publishing twice a year. Yeah. Um, well, let's do it January to January. So talk us through when you when you have the first glimmer of an idea. Well, well it actually, it doesn't go January to January. It goes, um, well, if I go from where we are now, yes. say. Um, so we're coming up to summer holidays. So I am on a push to finish. Uh, the book that I'm writing at the moment, which is set just outside of Naples. Uh, and so I'm layering and we will now possibly, possibly do another pass at it with my editor. And then, uh, then it will go for copy edits and then to proofs. Now, in the meantime, um, we have a book coming out in paperback in three weeks time. It's already come out in, um, as an ebook. It's going to come out in paperback in three weeks' time. So then there's promotion for that to do. Once my so I send off the the Italian book. Then there's promotion to do on uh, Escape to the French Farmhouse. Then uh, I will start writing about August September, about September, like a new school year. You know, mm-hmm. I will start writing my next book, which will be for the following winter. So I'll be doing research and a research trip around about October time. Uh, And then October, we are bringing out my winter book uh, as an e-book. No, September, we're bringing out my winter book as an e-book. And then I say October, I will be away doing a research trip for next winter's book. November, my winter book comes out and I will be writing next winter's book, which will go around about March. and then I'm, I'm, I'm sending it in for edits and April time, I will go away for my next research trip, which will be the following summer's book. Does that make sense? <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a lot of different seasons in there. <laughs> so what I, because your books are so characterized by the sense of place, you've just, you've just said there, you've got the French book coming out. You've got the Naples book coming out. When that is your brand, and when you've got to publish two books a year, um, 
I don't I don't want to ask the standard where do you get your ideas question because we'll kind of come to a version of that later on. But like, how hard is it to figure out what is coming next? So you finish one book in March and then, you know, right, well, in April, come April, I need to be on a plane going to somewhere else to do another bit of researching. Where, how are you mining ideas and, uh, to, to, to deliver on the Joe Thomas brand? You, I do have to work in advance. I, you know, things have to percolate. You can't just sit down at the desk, you know, January, the, you know, April the 1st and say, right, what am I going to write about? So there's alongside my um, document that I'm working on on my computer, there's always an ideas folder open that I will just dip in out of when something strikes me. Um, and then we will have a meeting when I'll start a contract to talk about what the next four books will be. Uh, and I, I will start with setting, place, but always hand in hand with food, because to me, once you find the food of a place, uh, it sort of takes you by the hand and it and it draws you into the community, into the the place, the people, the history, and it's all about the table in the middle of the kitchen, wherever we might be, and the food that goes on there, the food that's cooked. Uh, grown in the area, cooked and put on the table. So it's it's a bit like walking into the pantry when I'm about to cook dinner and say, well, I fancy cooking Greek tonight or whatever. What have I got? And I'll start with the main ingredient. And then you start adding to it, which is how I'll know, for instance, as I say, the sorts of places and the foods that I want to explore for the next few books. And that will just keep percolating away and I'll just be doing bits of research before I actually get to writing the book and, and the character that I want to actually um, put in that situation. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Now, before we get back to it with Joe, just a very quick run through of the ways that you can help out the show. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Writers Pod on there. Uh, you can leave us a review as well. If you're listening on Apple, that is. It helps the people that really need the help from our authors. It helps them find the help from our authors. If you're not on Apple, uh, maybe tell someone you know. Pass on what you found that way. Share it online. I don't know. Uh, you can also help out the show with a little bit of cash every month just a dollar or so really goes a long way and you can get merch with that you've even got the chance for your book to sponsor an episode of the podcast so i guess if your book launch has been slightly ruined by lockdown uh, let us help you out to make that happen you need to help us out Uh, you can do that by supporting us with just a dollar or so every month it's not a lot just whatever you can you're getting four episodes a month more or less uh, for the price of a cup of coffee or a pint I think that's pretty worthwhile. If you've had any help from our authors that has changed the way that you tell your stories, uh, support us if you can over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's carry on with Jo Thomas then. Getting back into it with her new book, it's Escape to the French Farmhouse. Uh, in this half, we talk about the love story part of the story, how she makes that real and believable. Also, we chat about the new book and where she got the idea, uh, how she makes sure that the audience is always by her side as well as she tours these different places. And we pick things up with the research, the research that I'm ludicrously jealous about. And we find out what she's looking for when she goes on these amazingly glorious trips. Well, as I say, I, it's it's about, for me, discovering the food of the place. So uh, once you've done that, say when I started with the oysters in Galway, once I started looking at oysters and looking at um, the shell shucking competitions, I, can ne- I always worry about saying that word in public. <laughs> you managed it, don't worry. Yeah. Never have a glass of wine before you come out with that one in public. Um, so, you know, you, I knew I wanted this world where oysters were grown. So then you start to research oysters. You start talking to people. And as you start to talk to people, the stories will start to show themselves. That's what I mean about discovering, you know, the food of the place. And it st- starts to take you by the hand. I found myself going oyster farming up in Scotland. Oh, my God, it was so wet. Um I've never been so wet in my life. But as you're there and experiencing it, the stories start to come to you. We went, uh, I went with my friend Katie Ford on a research trip to uh, Swedish Lapland. I knew that I wanted to do Swedish Lapland. I knew I wanted to do the Sami reindeer herders there. Uh, that was for A Winter Beneath Stars. Um, and then once you're experiencing the place, we were out with huskies um, and got talking to the guide. And then something starts to trigger the plot as you're talking to these people. Once you're there in amongst, you know, experiencing the food. And I remember we were sat in this lavu, which is like the, a wigwam tent with a fire going and we were being cooked for. And it was snowing outside and there was the huskies and, um, and just, you know, this, plot point just clicking into place and ah right that's where we're going to take this so I can start with an idea I can start with the food but and I can get a, a rough idea maybe a plot down but it's once you start talking to the people and discovering their passion for the food that they're producing the stories start to appear. Many writers when they go on research trips might be going in quite a, a technical aspect I would imagine crime thriller writers might go and uh, and and visit a location in their stories because they need to know the the the, the precise details of their 
chase or murder will work. Uh, I can't imagine you're doing that. When you're going and exploring these locations, I mean, for the new one, you went to Provence with with uh, Katie Ford as well. Uh, what are you what are you trying to get from these places? What are you trying to capture and come back home with? I just want to put on record, these trips are very, very hard work, okay? <laughs> really, really hard work, okay? <laughs> Tax deductible as well, yeah. <laughs> so when we go, it is, as I say, again, it's about discovering the essence of the place and meeting the producers. So when we went out to Provence, we went to visit um, the Lavender Fields and we went to the Lavender Museum. And what I always try and do as well is um, have a, a cookery class uh, in the place that with you know that I'm visiting. Uh, because once, once you're actually cooking the food and asking the questions, that's when, to me, uh, you can really get the most information out about your sense of place is the thing that I want from it, but also the stories of, of the food that's produced and how that will weave and layer into my romance. So it, it is so, yes, Provence we've just done. Um, I just, just before Christmas, we came back from Germany where I'd been to the German markets. I'd never been to them before. Um, so my new book coming out at the end of the year is finding love in the Christmas markets, all set in Germany in the German markets, and that was fantastic. And 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 it's really simple things like I want the smells. How does this place smell? Uh, obviously, we want to try the food. I want to try the food. I want to see the food being produced. But um, and and how a place makes you feel because I think if you're going to uh, transport your readers there. What you actually have to do is is be able to tell them how it feels to be there, how it smells, how um, you know whether it's hot, whether it's cold, how it's making you feel. So that's really important: is how a place makes you feel, how the food makes you feel, how it tastes. Um, so it's it's about using the senses. Um, yeah, and and so I mean, after after um, I did the oyster book. I, went to Puglia to do olive oil and the tasting of olive oil and how it just sits on your tongue, that peppery feeling uh, you get. And then uh, I think I went to Crete next. And what you get in Crete is this smell of wild herbs. It's incredible. So it's all about the senses when you go to visit somewhere on a research trip. It's how does this place make me feel? And that's what I hope to pass on to, to readers. When did you first get the idea that you wanted to to go and explore Provence and, and write something there? Oh, Provence had been with me for a while because I actually lived there for a while um, on a sort of gap year or two <laughs> when I was uh, a teenager. Uh, and I went to Provence and I was a waitress there. So and going back there, I have this, there, there's something about the way Provence smells. It's so unique. And I wanted to do about the lavender fields there. Um, I mean, one, they're so beautiful. But interestingly, lavender has sort of gone out of fashion being used in cooking. And yet it's, it's, if you look at, you know, Herb de Provence, lavender is one of the ingredients in the Herbs de Provence. Um, so I wanted to look at lavender in cooking. So went out there. I, I did do a cookery class and we cooked with lavender. Oh, this dessert that I will never forget um, with sort of a, a caramel cream and sharp green apples and the lavender. It was just stunning. Absolutely. Um, so 
so I had wanted to go back there and, and do something in Provence for some time. I'd already done Southwest France when I'd done my wine book, which was um, Late Summer in the Vineyard, uh, which involved a lot of wine tasting. Um, <laughs> and learning how to make wine, learning how to make wine. So I visited a lot of vineyards there. But lavender was the thing that drew me back to Provence. I had this opening scene in my head for quite some time. Uh, and I wanted to start a book with um, moving day. You know, lots of people move to Provence uh, to start a new life. I wanted to start a book where they are packing up their life uh, in Provence and moving back to the UK. So that was the starting point for this book. Um, and in actual fact, my heroine decides that it's not the house or the place that's the problem. It's her relationship. And she decides to stay. So she's making a life for herself from absolutely nothing. And she stands and watches her luggage, her life, her furniture drive off in a van back to the UK. Uh, and th I knew that was the starting point that I wanted for my heroine. I knew also I wanted to make this a place of healing, um, that lavender has a very soothing effect. I find it fantastic to sleep with at night, the lavender oil on the pillow, you know, just there's something very, very healing and soothing. So I knew that I wanted a place that would be healing and soothing. And then um, there was another bizarre, I've said, it's like ingredients to a, to a, a meal that you're putting together in the evening that, I had seen um, on a trip in France, in the middle of a roundabout, uh, as I was going around on a bus, a, a big pine tree uh, with a blue settee sat underneath it. And I, was, I thought it was an art installation. I said, that's incredible. That's amazing. And I later discovered that um, it was where people bring furniture for homeless people to sit on. And there was um, two men playing chess there with their water. Uh, so I had these ingredients. Um, and then when I'm actually in the place, what I do is I tend these days not to actually write when I'm in the place. What I do is I write a diary of everything I've seen and done uh, that day so that then I bring all that back and can include that. But, uh, but, but I will have had, as I say, the basic storyline but it will just start to um tighten up nuts and bolts in the plot and, and make sure that everything works as well it might be that something completely doesn't work and you've got to rejig it at this point so it's very much i've gone out there with an idea with my ingredients and they start to percolate and then as you're cooking i mean i find cooking a great thinking time anyway that and driving if i'm driving it all starts pinging off in my head uh, so we're back to being in the car again, aren't we? <laughs> um, you, you mentioned earlier on uh, the how much you know about your story, but quite often uh, maybe your characters will drag you off the route that you had planned for yourself. Uh, how, how do you how do you know when they are doing that, and why do you follow them? Why is why is the route that you intended? Why does that sometimes is that sometimes no longer the best option? Um, I think. I think as you're writing, the story develops in the first draft. Um, and if the character goes off at a bit of a tangent, you've got to be sure that it's working for the story. 
not just to go and have a little jolly somewhere else. You know, what are we, what, what's this, why are we doing this and how is it going to advance our character's emotional journey? Because this is what I mean, whilst they're on a physical journey and discovering food and a new place, they're on an emotional journey too. So it has to in some way add to the emotional journey for it to, to, to warrant staying in. When you're writing something like this, when you're, when you're writing tales that evoke so much, you know, evoke this, this sense of place that everyone wants to visit, you know, sun-drenched Naples, uh, the lavender fields of Provence, and especially when you're writing about food as well, how much care and attention are you giving to the words on the page, the word that is coming next, that it's describing what you're what you have experienced accurately i remember having this conversation once with another writer and she said i just love the words and it's not about that for me it's about the emotion that i'm feeling at the time again it's back to the feeling so i write first person present because i want to be in the place i want to feel how my heroine is feeling so it's not about finding the exact word or whatever it's about creating for me for me it's about creating a feeling have i managed to create the feeling that i want for my heroine here and now um is much more it's much more about that than than is this the right word but it, i mean it's say it is about the words because the the words have to uh reflect the feeling that i'm trying to go for but but food is such um it's 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 food memories food taste it's all about how it makes you feel in the same way that a person does this to you a place can do this to you so it's all about how am i making my character feel speaking about feelings and when you're writing romance which which is one of uh, the most common feelings everyone on the planet shares uh, how are you how are you how are you making that work? I know that that's quite an open ended probably ridiculous question, but everyone can spot fake romance stuff that isn't real that's not believable. How are you making sure that making sure that your romances are passing the 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 plausibility test? I think you're right. I think that the one thing that we all have in common is the desire to love and to be loved, and we've all at some point felt love. Um, so I think once you can take yourself back to, to how you felt, uh, and those feelings of love, uh, for whoever it was, you know, we've all felt love at some point. We've all felt, well, maybe not all, but most of us have felt unrequited love at some point, but we've, and felt love for family, for friends, for, you know, so I think that, 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 that what we're doing is we're, we're taking, and remembering how it feels to fall in love. I mean, to fall in love is one of the best feelings in the world. Um, and the worst as well. So you have to, you know, dredge up the old memory bank for how it was to actually fall in love. But as I say, I think the one thing that we all have in common, uh, is to love and be loved. And I think we can all in some way relate to that. And, and that's what you're putting on the page. And lastly, and it, it's quite a cruel question, so forgive me. Um, and it might just be no. I was thinking, what you, how many have you published now? So this is what this is your this is your tenth I'm, book. I'm 
I, I was just working this out this morning. Yes, my my um, finding love in the Christmas market is my tenth book. So plus three novellas. Brilliant. So y- you've written extensively all around a similar line: travel, food, romantic fiction. That is your yeah. that is your bag. How much do you ever feel perhaps creatively shackled by the limitations of the genre that you write in? Well, I don't because this is what this is what I am. This is who I am. Um, if I'm not writing, then I'm in the kitchen and I'm cooking and I'm cooking for the ones that I love. Um, my idea of heaven is to have a full table and people around the table. Um, I'm, a, you know, a simple cook. I'm not a fancy cook, but I love to. I mean, just before I came to speak to you, I put um, the sauce in the slow cooker for the lasagna. And we've got um it's seen you know i've got my teenagers here which is great and we'll all sit around the table later for lasagna when i wake in the morning alongside my book the first thing i'm thinking is what are we cooking today what's you know what's on the menu so it's a way of expressing myself i think possibly if i didn't write i'd probably be uh back working in restaurants because it's a way of uh showing uh, showing love, but also, you know, it's wonderful to have the appreciation that people enjoy what you've done, the, what you've given them. I always think that if you um, read a book of mine, it's like coming to my house for dinner. I want you to have come in and uh, like the people that you've met, feel warm, leave feeling full, that you've had a few laughs along the way and leave feeling very satisfied, you know. So, so the books are basically you coming to my house for dinner, wherever we might be. We might be in Spain. We might be in Italy. We might be in Swedish Lapland. It's all about the table. And so my books are about that. And I think really that's who I am. So, so it doesn't shock me. It's just me on a plate, really. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Joe Thomas. Uh, if you're looking to buy a copy of the new book, Escape to the French Farmhouse. Uh, please do it over uh, using the link on our episode notes, or you can find it at writersroutine.com as well. That way we get a little bit of a kickback as well, which, you know, it's win for her. She sells a book. Win for you. You get an amazing story to read. Win for us. We get like 13p or whatever it is. Uh, you can always support us over at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. You can leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter too. Now, next week, we are chatting to Amanda Jennings all about her new novel, set in Cornwall. It's a thriller. It's called The Storm, and she's on the show next time. I will see you then on Writer's Routine. Bye! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.